This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, at the half hour, we'll be joined by the cast of characters who inhabit Madison High. More about the talented gang from our Miss Brooks a little bit later on. But first, Inner Sanctum. On January 7th of 1941, the Inner Sanctum radio program premiered, the name licensed by Simon & Schuster, on condition that at the end of each broadcast, the announcer would promote the latest book title published in the series. The anthology series featured stories of mystery, terror, and suspense, and its tongue-in-cheek introductions were in sharp contrast to shows like Suspense and The Whistler. The early 1940 programs opened with Raymond Edwin Johnson uh, introducing himself as Your Host Raymond in a mockingly sardonic voice. A spooky melodramatic organ played by Lou White punctuated Raymond's many morbid jokes and playful puns, Raymond's closing with an elongated pleasant dreams. <laughs> his tongue-in-cheek style and ghoulish relish of his own tales became the standard for many such horror narrators to follow from fellow radio hosts like Ernest Chappelle on Willis Cooper's later series, Quiet, Please. And when Johnson left the series in May of 1945 to serve in the Army, he was replaced by Paul McGrath, who didn't keep the Raymond name and was known only as Your Host or Mr. Host. McGrath was a Broadway actor who turned to radio for a regular income. Now, beginning in 1945, Lipton T. sponsored the series, pairing first Raymond, then McGrath, with cheery commercial spokeswoman Mary Bennett, a.k.a. the Tea Lady, whose blithesome pitches for Lipton T., contrasted sharply with the macabre themes of the stories. She primly chided the host for his trademark dark humor and creepy manner. The program's familiar and famed audio trademark was the eerie creaking door, which opened and closed the broadcasts. Now, Hyman Brown got the idea from a door in the basement that he said squeaked like hell. (laughs) The door sound was actually made by a rusty desk chair. The program did originally intend to use the door, but on its first take, the door didn't creak. Undaunted, Brown gabbed a nearby chair, sat on it, and turned, causing a hair-raising squeak. That chair was used from then on as the sound prop. On at least one least memorable occasion, a staffer innocently repaired and oiled the chair, thus forcing the sound man to mimic the squeak orally. The show was sponsored by Colgate Tooth Powder and Palm Olive Soap. Tonight, we hear a show first broadcast, November 29th of 1944, Voice on the Wire. Trapped on an island, a voice on the telephone warns a woman that she has only four hours to live. Colgate Tooth Powder and Palm Olive Soap. 
Powder present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host, Raymond, inviting you in through the squeaking door. Well, it's so nice of you to come here tonight and uh, help me sit up with a corpse. Hey, such dull company, so cold and stiff, bored with being dead. All the uh, life seems to have gone out of him. What? You say you've seen him before. Oh, no, he's not that horror man who plays in pictures. But he does look like him. So much so, in fact, you might even call him a... Uh, Dead ringer. <laughs> Tonight's Inner Sanctum Mystery, Voice on the Wire, is an original radio drama by Robert Sloan and stars Miss Leslie Woods in the role of Geraldine Reeves. It's produced under the direction of Hyman Brown. No doubt the telephone is an ingenious invention, but um, as far as I know, no one as yet has been able to commit murder over it, although many people have wanted to. Still, there are worse things you can get on the phone than the wrong number, especially if you happen to call the voice on the wire. On a long, narrow island just off the shore of one of our larger lakes... Mrs. Geraldine Reeves, widow of the late composer David Reeves, lives alone in a gaunt, gray, shingled house. Only a few hundred yards away are the charred remains of her former home where David was burned to death in a fire just two years ago. It's after dinner now, and as the clock in the hall strikes eight... You've got to get hold of yourself, Geraldine. I can't help it, Doctor. You see, it starts every night about this time. What starts? The music. David's last composition. I hear it being played on a piano. And the notes seem to come from the old house, the house where David died in the fire. Well, perhaps someone is playing that piece on the piano. Someone on the island. No. No, there's only one other house out here, and those people are away. And the dog. The dog keeps howling all night long. But uh, I don't know. There's no dog on the island, but David and I did have a dog. You remember? He stayed with David the night of the fire. He died with him because David was too ill to get out of bed. There! There it is again! It's amazing. That's a real dog. Somewhere on this island. Oh! Do you think so? I... Why, of course. Probably some stray got across the bridge or swam over from the shore. Well, you see, I... Oh, excuse me, Doctor. Sir. Hello? Hello. Mrs. Geraldine Reeves. Yes, Vicky, who is it? Listen. Good heavens! Music. The same music 
I heard it again. What? Over the phone. Someone's playing it on the piano. It must be some sort of a... No, no, no. A man spoke to me. He said I have four hours to live. Four hours to... Here. Let me have that phone. No, no. It's no use. He's rung off. Well, we might be able to trace the call. Hello. Operator. Operator. I'm just trying to kill me. Hello, operator. Operator. What's wrong, doctor? I... I'm afraid the wires have been cut. We'd better get into my car and drive into town right away. Yes. Yes, it isn't safe for me to stay here another minute. Can't understand it. The motor won't turn over. Somebody must have meddled with this car while we were in the house. Well, try my car, Doctor. I think perhaps I'd better. Is it in the garage? Yes, yes, I'll let Great heavens, it's gone. The garage is empty. The car's been stolen. Now, let's not lose our heads, Geraldine. But... We're not completely cut off yet. We can't use a car. We can still walk. But it's almost a mile to the bridge, and the road is so dark down along the water. It won't be too dark with a flashlight. We can go down through the woods to the edge of the water walk along the shore. Oh, wait a minute. What's the matter? I just remembered. David's brother's driving out here tonight. Are they? Yes, and his wife, Laura. They said they'd be here by 8.30, and if we wait for them, they can take us back in their car. What do you think, Doctor? That's safer than trying to make it alone. If we wait right here, perhaps we can watch the bridge and see them coming. Heaven's sake, Geraldine. What are you staring at? The bridge, Doctor. The bridge, look. This end of it's been washed out. Oh, Doctor, this is crazy Searching for a telephone wire in back of the house If we're seen out here, there's no telling what might happen Please, please, Geraldine We've got to find out where that wire was cut And splice it together again It's our only chance of reaching the police But it's almost nine o'clock, we've wasted an hour already If I'm not out of here by twelve Stop it, Geraldine, we... stop it Sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to. What's that? It's the dog again. That confounded dog is tied up around here somewhere. Oh, no, I didn't mean that. I meant the light on the road. There's a strange light on the road. The headlight of a car. Coming this way. A car? Yes. Quick. Behind the house and stay out of sight. It's turning into the driveway. How could a car have come out onto the island with that bridge out? They're getting out. Oh! Why, it's Harvey and... And Laura. Good heavens. Oh, Harvey. Hello. Harvey. Well, oh, Harvey. For Pete's sake. Oh. Jerry, what are you doing? Playing hide and seek with us back there? Oh, Harvey, I'm so glad you came. Oh, what's the matter? Oh, everything, everything. But, but first, you've got to tell us how you got here. Well, we just drove over the bridge and on up the road the way we always do. But how could you drive over the bridge? It's been washed out. What? Well, I saw it with my own eyes, and Dr. Pricing saw it too, didn't you, Doctor? I certainly did. Oh, you must be mistaken. We drove over the bridge not more than two minutes ago. Are you sure you haven't been on the island longer than that? Well, I'm positive. Why? Well, some very strange things have been happening here tonight. Geraldine's life was threatened, her car stolen, and mine tampered with. What? What are you talking about? Look, I'll show you. The starter in my car won't even turn the motor over. Here. Why, George, it's working now. Say, what is this, Jerry? Have you and the doctor been taking a few pills? Did you drink too much wine at dinner? Oh, no, no, everything he said is true. Even the telephone wires have been... I, I, I must be going out of my mind. 
That is my telephone ringing, isn't it? Yes, of course. Aren't you going to answer it? I'm almost afraid to. Come with me, Harvey, will you, while I do it? Sure. Hello? Hello. Mrs. Reeves. Yes? I have a gun ready, just in case anything should happen. And I won't hesitate to use it. You have a gun, Doctor? Why, uh, yes. Uh, Geraldine gave it to me before you arrived. Oh. What's the matter? You trust me with a gun, don't you? Why, why of course. I'm... Laura, what is it? Face at the window. I just saw a face at the window. Laura, please, you're letting your imagination run away with you. No, I saw it right there. The face of a dead man. Quick, Harvey. Out the back way. Right. No, no, please don't leave us. We'll be right outside the window. Jerry, I'm afraid. Oh, there's nothing we can do, Laura. They, they won't be far away. But I... I don't trust Dr. Price. You never should have given him that gun. Why not? Because... Because I think he's a murderer. Oh, yes. Don't you remember how he acted at the trial? When you were accused of starting the fire that killed David? He testified against you time and again. To make them think you did it. Because he started that fire himself. What on earth are you saying? I'm telling you the truth. During the trial, he swore that he wasn't on the island the night of the fire. But he was. And I can prove it. How? By this cigarette case of his. Here, look at it. You see how it's charred and melted on the side where his initials were? He must have left it in the fire that night. By mistake. But he couldn't have. The police searched everything the next morning. They would have found it in the ashes. Not if it wasn't there. He came back for us that same night, as soon as he missed it, and dragged it out of the fire. He knew it would incriminate him if it were found in his possession, so he threw it into the lake as he drove home over the bridge. And that's where we found it, in the water, the last time we were out here. Oh, Laura, I hope you're wrong. I... So do I. But if I'm right, we're all in for... Laura! The lights! Somebody cut off the lights! Laura! Laura, where are you? Carry the door! It was meant to be me, Harvey. Whoever came through that door intended to kill me. Jerry, please. How is Laura, Doctor? I'm afraid I can't do anything for her, Harvey. She's passed on. You better not touch the body, Harvey. Oh, leave me alone. You've done enough already, Dr. Prising. I beg your pardon? You'll have a lot of explaining to do when the police arrive, Doctor. I'll tell them how you ran away from me out there before the lights went out. And how you were here in this room when they went on again. Harvey, don't say things you'll regret later on. Just a moment. Where is the cigarette case Laura had in her hand when the lights went out? What cigarette case? You know the one I mean, Dr. Prising. The gold one that was charred in the fire. 
I haven't the faintest idea what you're talking about. I have. If you're as innocent as you claim to be, you won't mind being searched. Not at all. Go right ahead. I will. Whom are you calling, Geraldine? The police. I understand why they haven't arrived yet. It's almost 10 o'clock. Maybe something's happened to them on the way. Maybe their car broke down. Their car, too? Huh? Nothing. Only it seems as if your car is the only one that works when you want it to. Headquarters. Oh, Sergeant. Sergeant, I can't understand why you men aren't here yet. A murder's been committed. Do you think you've been calling the police department all this time, Mrs. Reeves? David's music. someone moving around in here. So I came back. And I got here. Your wife's body was gone. What? what? Gone? Your... Laura's body? Gone? I assume that it's gone. It's not where it was on the floor. But, but how could... Look here, Percy. You were alone in this room. And so were what? you. After I left. Wasn't it, Geraldine? Well... Yes, now that I think back, he was. Certainly. What's more, Geraldine saw me leave the house. And when I left, the body was still here. After that, I don't know what happened. What are you driving at? Draw your own conclusions. I've drawn mine. Why, you... Harvey, stop it! Stop it! Uh... I'm sorry, Jerry. I'll just... The dog again. Yeah. I can't understand why you didn't find that dog, Dr. Prising. He must be right out there where the old house used to be. But if you think you can find him, why don't you go? Good heavens, man. Uh, Look. There's a fire burning out there. On the grounds of the old house. Prising, you started that fire yourself and you're burning Laura's body and it's a cover-up your crime. Harvey, where are you going? I'm going to the fire, Jerry. I've got to stop it. I've got to put it out. I'm going to lose my mind if someone doesn't stop these awful things from happening. Won't anybody help us? Easy, Geraldine. The man who hopes to kill you was trying to break you down first. It's part of his plan. Here. Take a sip of this brandy. It'll help you. All right, thank you, Doctor. I... What's the matter? Oh, nothing, really. I just don't care for any brandy, Chuck, now. What's wrong with it? 
Well, I, I, I didn't say anything was wrong with it. I, I just don't... You fool. You think I'm trying to poison you? I don't know what to think. Here. Give me that brandy. I'll drink it myself. There. Leave me now? I don't believe anyone. Listen to me, Geraldine. I'm the best friend you have in the world right now. You've got to understand that. Because there isn't much more time. We've got to get away from Harvey while he's still out there. What do you mean? Can't you see? He's trying to kill you. That's a lie. It isn't, Geraldine. Harvey's the one that's lied to us. He and Laura both. They intended to kill you when the lights went out. But in the darkness, Harvey made a fatal mistake. He thought it was you he was strangling, not Laura. I won't believe it. It's that. the truth. They never drove across that bridge at nine o'clock tonight. They've been here on the island all evening. How do you know? Because we saw that bridge with our own eyes. And I saw it again just five minutes ago. It's still down. You're lying. Come out and see it for yourself. Just trying to get me out of this house. Stop being such a fool. Here. Take this gun. If it'll give you any security, take it. And hold it in my back while we're out there. But for heaven's sakes, let's get away from Harvey while there's still a chance. All right. Give me the gun. Here. Now, you keep in front of me all the time. And I'm warning you. If you make one false move, I'll kill you in cold blood. You see? Harvey and Laura were lying to us. The bridge is still down. You're right. They couldn't have come across that bridge. Of course not. The only trouble is, we can't get back over it now either. We've got to get away, Doctor, now, before we're seen. What about that house at the other end of the island? Little away. But they might have a boat. Yes, of course they do have a boat. We can row to the mainland. Come on, quick. All right. I have a feeling we're being followed. It's your imagination. Hurry, Geraldine. Hurry. We are being followed, Doctor. Look behind us. There's a man with a dog. Just like the dog you owned. The one that died in the fire. Yes. And the man. It's Dave. It must be. Well, it isn't. Can't you see it isn't? That's the surrounding back. No, that side of the house faces the road. Then we'll have to break in and hide here until morning. Our best chance is to be inside. Where we can protect ourselves. After all, you still have a gun. But I hardly know how to use it. And give it to me. No. You still don't trust me, do you? I don't know, Doctor. But I'm the one who's been threatened, so I really should have the gun. Very well. Wait here. I'll break through the window and come around on the inside. Did you hurt yourself? No. I'm all right. Uh, just wait there for me and I'll unlock the door. Oh, hurry, Doctor. Please, hurry. They're on our trail again. Come inside. Come inside, Geraldine. Come inside. Come inside. Come inside, Geraldine. Quickly. And lock the door behind you. What's wrong, Doctor? Nothing's wrong. We're in luck. There's a phone here. If it hasn't been disconnected. Hello. Hello, operator.
Oh, well. Some days you can't lay away a corpuscle. Well, it's time for me to join the moonbeams now. But before I leave under a cloud, before I'm missed, I thought I might pass on the moral of tonight's story. If you must light a fire under your husband's bed, be careful where you drop the ashes. By the way, this month's Inner Sanctum Mystery novel is Puzzle for Puppets by Patrick Quentin. Well, now it's really time to close that there squeaking door until next week when Colgate Tooth Powder brings you another Inner Sanctum Mystery. So until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. Remember, another Inner Sanctum Mystery next Wednesday night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Our Miss Brooks, an American sitcom starring Eve Arden as a sardonic high school English teacher. It began as a radio show broadcast on CBS from 1948 to 1957. Our Miss Brooks was a hit on radio from the outset. Within eight months of its launch as a regular series, the show landed several honors, including four for Eve Arden, who won polls in four individual publications at the time. Arden had actually been the third choice to play the title role. Now, Harry Ackerman, at the time CBS's West Coast Director of Programming, wanted Shirley Booth for the part. But as he told historian Gerald Nachman a few years later, he realized Booth was too focused on the underpaid downside of public school teaching at the time to have any fun with the role. Lucille Ball was believed to have been the next choice, but she was committed to My Favorite Husband and didn't audition. CBS then-chairman Bill Paley, who was friendly with Eve Arden, persuaded her to audition for the part. And with a slightly rewritten audition script, Osgood Conklin, for example, was originally written as the school board president, was now written in as the incoming new Madison principal. Arden agreed to give the newly revamped show a try. Produced by Larry Burns and written by director Al Lewis, Our Miss Brooks premiered on CBS July 19th of 1948. Her dialogue scenes with Principal Conklin and would-be boyfriend Boynton were sharp with witty comebacks. The interplay between the cast, blustery Conklin, nebbishly Denton, accommodated Harriet, absent-minded Mrs. Davis, clueless Boynton, and scheming Miss Enright also received positive reviews. Jeff Chandler played Boynton and stayed with the role for five years, even after becoming a movie star. He ultimately resigned because it was too exhausting to juggle a regular radio role with his film commitments. Others in the cast include Anne Whitfield as Conklin's daughter, Harriet. Uh, Arden won a radio listener's poll by Radio Mirror magazine as a top-ranking comedian of 1948-49, receiving her award at the end of Our Miss Books broadcast that March. She said, and I quote, I'm certainly going to try in the coming months to merit the honor you've bestowed upon me because I understand that if I win this two years in a row, I get to keep Mr. Poynton. <laughs> 
She was also a hit with the critics. A winter 1949 poll of newspaper and magazine radio editors taken by Motion Picture Daily named her as the year's best radio comedian. And for its entire radio life, the show was sponsored by Colgate Palmolive, Pete uh, promoting Palmolive soap, Luster Cream Shampoo, and Tony hair products. The radio series continued until 1957, a year after its television life ended, and it became one of the medium's earliest hits. So, let's get going and listen in to the next episode with Our Miss Brooks. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks manages to keep pretty busy teaching English at Madison High School. But in spite of her preoccupation with her own subject, she's managed to find quite a bit of time lately to pursue the study of biology. One thing is certain. I've spent more time pursuing the study of biology than the biology teacher has spent pursuing me. (laughs) It isn't that Mr. Boynton doesn't believe in romance. After all, if it weren't for him... Alice and Vincent, Mabel and Ted, and Bernice and Henry would never have gotten together. And everybody knows they're six of the happiest rabbits in town. (laughs) Anyway, I was pretty surprised last week when my landlady, Mrs. Davis, told me that Mr. Boynton had borrowed my copy of Rostand's Cyrano de Bergerac from our library. We were discussing it last Thursday morning while Mrs. Davis was getting breakfast ready. I can't understand it, Connie. Cyrano is a very romantic play. Does Mr. Boynton read that kind of literature? I doubt it very much. Although he surprised me once before this when I saw a book on his desk called Come Fly With Me. That sounds like a very racy novel. That's what I thought till I saw the rest of the title. That read The Life and Times of an African Tsetse Fly. <laughs> well, maybe now that the weather's getting nicer, he'll warm up a bit. Remember the old saying... In the spring, a young man's fancy. Not Mr. Boynton. He's no fancier in the spring than he is in the winter. <laughs> oh, that must be Walter Denton. I asked him to pick me up this morning. Coming. Oh, come in, Walter. Thanks, Miss Brooks. Come on into the dinette. I was about to have some breakfast. Will you join me? No, thanks, Miss Brooks. I couldn't eat a thing. Not the way I feel. What's the matter, Walter? Are you ill? Not physically. Mentally? No, not mentally either. I guess it's what you'd call spiritual mal de mer. <laughs> you know what they say, when love enters the heart, appetite flees the stomach. <laughs> Who says that? I don't know, I guess it's anonymous. It deserves to be. <laughs> Hello, Walter. Oh, how are you, Mrs. Davis? Fine, thanks. I'll set a place for you right here. Just sit down and we'll have a nice breakfast in a jiffy. Walter doesn't want anything to eat, Mrs. Davis. He's got spiritual mal de mer. Oh, that's too bad. But how about you, Connie? I've got a big bowl of wheat cake batter humming in the mix, Master. Or uh, would you rather have a fried egg? I'll just have some fruit juice and coffee, Mrs. Davis. If I don't watch my figure now, Mr. Boynton never will. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have my egg scrambled, Mrs. Davis. And just so you shouldn't waste the batter, you can give me a stack of wheats on the side. (laughs) (laughs) With maybe a couple of strips of bacon? Let's see now. What was I talking about again? About love killing your appetite. Oh, yeah. I'm really worried, Miss Brooks. It's about Harriet Conklin been very cool to me lately. 
Why? Have you been eating at her home, too? <laughs> no, it isn't that. It's just poetry she's been getting lately. Poetry? From whom? That's just the trouble. I don't know who from. You don't know from whom? I don't know from nothing. <laughs> Sending her love lyrics like mad. Here are your eggs, Walter. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis. Miss Brooks, I suspect that the sender of the notes works around the cafeteria. Why the cafeteria? Because that's where she receives most of them. Whoever's writing the poetry has been sneaking it into her desserts. How did you find that out? Well, I've been suspicious for over a week. So yesterday, while Harriet wasn't looking, I switched desserts with her. And sure enough, tucked right in the middle of my chocolate eclair, Omar Khayyam. <laughs> At least I think it was Omar Khayyam You mean you're not sure? Well, it was pretty gooey That's Omar Khayyam, all right <laughs> Here are the wheat cakes, Walter Oh, thanks, Mrs. Davis Now, this thing has got me all at sea, Miss Brooks I can't sleep at night I can't study right I can't eat I know Here's the syrup, Walter Thanks <laughs> Some more butter, too, please Oh, sorry, here you are Listen, Walter, Harriet's just like any other adolescent. She's intrigued with the idea of having a secret admirer. Receiving anonymous poetry is a very romantic thing for a young girl. Can you remember receiving any poetry, Miss Brooks? Back when you were young, I mean? <laughs> just one, Walter. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow sent me the original copy of Evangeline. Ah, <laughs> oh, now you're kidding me, Miss Brooks. Uh, you must have been a baby when Longfellow was alive. <laughs> I was big for my age. <laughs> Look, Walter, there's only one thing to do. Beat this unknown rival of yours at his own game. You mean I should send her some anonymous poems and then after a while tell her it's been me all along? Exactly. Now, doesn't that make you feel better? It sure does. Oh, Mrs. Davis. Yes, Walter. On second thought, I think I will have some breakfast. What have you got in the house? <laughs> Just our cat, Minerva. You've eaten everything else. And these are the main points of difference in the circulatory systems of cold and warm-blooded animals. Well, that'll be all for today. Excuse me, Mr. Boynton, but you asked me to wait after class. Oh, yes, Walter. About that note you were scribbling while you should have been listening to my lecture on the North American tree toad. Hand it over, please. But, Mr. Boynton, it's personal. I'm sorry, Walter. I've got to find out what it is that's so much more important to you than the North American tree toad. Well, all right, Mr. Boynton. But you won't learn much from this. Well, let's see. Oh, it's a poem. <clears throat> Tis but for you that my heart does beat, and over and over it does repeat... As it says your name, it twists like a lariat just because your name is Harriet. Well, Mr. Boynton, now you know. It's Harriet Conklin that's more important to me than a North American tree toad. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to embarrass you, Walter. I think our esteemed principal's daughter's a fine girl, and I'm quite fond of poetry myself. You, Mr. Boynton? Yes, me. There are things in my life besides toads, too. Really? What? Well, uh, uh, one of my favorite bits of verse is quite similar to the one you've written It goes, your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue And evermore with love I tremble And the bell swings and then your name rings out And everything you do lives in my heart Well, Walter, what do you think of it? <laughs> it's pretty mushy if you ask me 
Not at all, Walter. That's one of the loveliest passages in Rostand, Cyrano de Bergerac. You'd be surprised how efficacious those lines can be. I sure would. Here, here, I'll write it down for you. Now, I'm sure this will help you a great deal in your pursuit of the fair Harriet. You certainly have a beautiful handwriting, Mr. Boynton. Gosh, Harriet practically swoons every time you write the questions on the blackboard. Oh, that's very flattering, Walter. There you are. I sure appreciate this, Mr. Boynton. Gosh, after all the trouble you've gone through already, I hate to ask you, but... Well, if this works, will you be my best man? (laughs) I have sent for you, Miss Brooks, for two reasons. Yes, Mr. Conklin? First, I want you to pick up your allotment of report cards. You'll find them in one of those envelopes on the desk. Yes, sir. It's marked for Miss Brooks. Have you got it? Not yet. Let's see here. Well, now, they're all alphabetically listed. Are you looking under B? But you said the envelope's marked for Miss Brooks. I've been looking under F. (laughs) (laughs) I found it, Mr. Conklin. Well, good for you. (laughs) Pick up your lifetime supply of lifesavers on the way out. (laughs) Now, the second thing I want you to do is change my daughter Harriet's seat in your class. Why, what's wrong with her present location? She's right across the aisle from a case of walking arrested development called Walter Denton. (laughs) Their very proximity has fostered an infantile romance, culminating in Harriet's receiving a series of mushy, ridiculous poems. Oh, but Mr. Conklin, Walter didn't send us Just move him away from my daughter or vice versa. But Mr. Conklin, the poems that... The only poem I'm interested in, Miss Brooks, goes, Yours not to reason why, yours but to do or die. I believe in private enterprise myself. Good day, Miss Brooks. But, Mr. Conklin... I have spoken. Yes, Master, I go. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care, doctors prove you too may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap. But to win this lovelier complexion, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive the way doctors advise. 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advised using palm olive soap this way for 1,285 women with all types of skin. Young, old, dry, oily, normal. And using palm olive soap alone, two out of three won lovelier complexions. Oily skin looked less oily. Dull, drab skin wonderfully brighter. Coarse-looking skin appeared finer. Here's what the doctors advise. Wash your face with palm olive soap three times a day. Massage with palm olive's wonderful beauty lather for 60 seconds each time to get palm olive's full beautifying effect. Then rinse. Look for improvement within 14 days. For doctors prove this way, using palm olive alone really works. So get palm olive soap and start today to win a lovelier complexion. And ladies, enter the $100,000 49 Gold Rush Contest. The makers of palm olive soap offer $49,000 first prize and over 4,900 other prizes. Get entry blanks and complete rules from your dealer now. You may win a fortune in cash. Conklin's office, I headed for my classroom again. Hello, Miss Brooks. Oh, hello, Harriet. Guess what? I just found another poem smuggled into my history book, and this one is the loveliest one of all, and the most important, too, because I know who sent it. 
I know at last who my secret admirer has been. Look, Olivia. I mean, Harriet. <laughs> how do you know? By his handwriting. Every time I've seen it on the blackboard, I've practically swooned. But, Miss Brooks, he's... Well, he's a little older than I am, and... Well, do you think an older man could become infatuated with a woman my age? It's happened. But I'd think it over very carefully if I were you. The first man with whom I fell madly in love was a little older than I was, and because of the difference, our romance got nowhere. How old were you at the time? I was three, and he was 68. <laughs> I just knew it couldn't work out. I figured that by the time I'd come of age, he would have already went. <laughs> You're just teasing me, Miss Brooks. But this is a serious matter. I've got to let him know I know who he is. How are you going to do that? In a very subtle manner, Miss Brooks. I'll just give him back his poem without saying a word, and then he'll know that I know. But, Harriet, your father doesn't admire your secret admirer. Oh, he will. I wish I had an envelope to put this note in, though. I don't want to lose it before I meet him. Here. You can use this envelope, Harriet. Wait till I take out these report cards. There you are. Now, I'd better be getting into my room, Harriet. I've got to sort these cards before my next class. Very well, Miss Brooks. And Miss Brooks. Yes? Isn't love a wonderful feeling? <laughs> it's dandy. <laughs> Poor Miss Brooks. In love with the one who loves me. But that's life, I guess. The eternal triangle. Oh, good morning, Harriet. Have you seen Miss Brooks? Mr. Boynton! Oh, dear Mr. Boynton. Dear Mr. Boynton. Au revoir, Mr. Boynton. Oh, but Harriet, just a minute. What's this envelope? Or Miss Brooks. Oh, I guess she wants me to give it to her. <laughs> Funny how kids act sometimes. Come in. You busy, Miss Brooks? Why, no, Mr. Boynton. I was just sorting these cards. Well, I just dropped in to tell you how much I'm enjoying the book I borrowed. Of course, what with coaching the basketball team and all, I haven't finished it, but there are several passages in it that really remind me of my youth. <laughs> I was a romantic kid, all right. Them were the days. <laughs> In those days, I had a lot more, well, if you'll excuse the expression, intestinal fortitude. You mean concerning, if you'll excuse the expression, girls? <laughs> well, yes. You might not believe this, but I even wrote poetry. Isn't that silly? I don't think it's silly at all. You don't? Miss Brooks, if I were to... That is, if you were to... Yes, Mr. Boynton? What I mean is, in your honest opinion... Yes? How do you think the basketball team will make out tonight? With you coaching them, they may back right out of the gym. <laughs> I've got to be running along, Miss Brooks. Maybe we can discuss Cyrano again at lunch. All right, Mr. Boynton, but I'm still a little amazed at your interest in such amorous literature. Well, maybe you underestimated me, Miss Brooks. Underestimated you? Yes, I... Oh, oh, I almost forgot this envelope. It's for you. Well, so long, Miss Brooks. But, Mr. Boynton... Now, what is this all about? What's in here? Your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue, and evermore with love I tremble. And the bell swings, and then your name rings out, and everything you do lives in my heart. Why, Mr. Boynton, you underestimated dog, you. <laughs> period finally arrived, and I hurried into the cafeteria just as Mr. Boynton got there. This, of course, was pure coincidence. 
The same pure coincidence which has occurred every day for the past two years. <laughs> the student's threat to boycott this cafeteria last week seems to have done some good, doesn't it, Mr. Barton? Oh, yes, indeed. They've even put flower pots around on the windowsills. Have you noticed them? Those? I thought those were jars of jello. <laughs> yeah, I'm crazy about flowers, Miss Brooks. I've just ordered some from my biology lab. They certainly do a lot to relieve the drabness of a schoolroom. So do you. I mean, uh... <laughs> aren't flower pots a pretty expensive luxury for a teacher? Oh, they don't cost anything at all, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin gets them through the school nursery. You just tell him how many you want, he signs the requisition, and that's all there is to it. Well, you ought to get a dozen or so for your room. My room? But it's so crowded, where would I put them? On the windowsills. Oh, that's right. The pupils who sit there could hold them on their laps. Well, I suggest you request the small size pots, Miss Brooks. You'll be surprised how a few flowers will brighten things up. Frankly, when I was in your room this morning, it seemed rather cold. Cold? For a biologist, you're a pretty bad judge of temperature. <laughs> but if it's flower pots you want, it's flower pots you'll get. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'd like to get back to my room before my next class and make out the requisition. Well, certainly, Miss Brooks. But before I go, Mr. Boynton, this interest you have in flowers, does it extend to bees? Yes, bees fascinate me. Oh, then you know about the bees and the flowers. <laughs> of course, that's the first thing a biologist has to learn. But that was quite a while ago, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Mr. Boynton? Yes? Don't you think you could use a refresher course? <laughs> And so I would like a dozen small flower pots for my windowsill. Come in. It's me, Stretch Snodgrass. You gotta help me, Miss Brooks. I got a problem. A problem, Stretch? Yeah. It's about Harriet Conklin. No names, please. What's your problem, Stretch? As you know, Walter Denton is my best friend. And I know he's gone on Harriet Conklin, but I'm gone on her, too. I realized as soon as I seen her that she was a real gone gal, Miss Brooks. And even though she's my best friend's girl, I can't help it. I'm gone on her. Thank you, Nellie Lutcher. <laughs> even Mr. Boynton has noticed how it's affected me. He coaches me in basketball, you know. And he said if I don't snap out of it, I won't get to play in the playoffs. Well, why don't you tell Harriet how you feel about her? I'm sure Mr. Conklin would welcome the change. I don't want to go with Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Besides, I can't talk at all hardly when I'm near Harriet. I get so scared, I can't open my mouth. Sounds like Mr. Boynton coaches you in something besides basketball. <laughs> you don't understand, Miss Brooks. I wouldn't want Harriet to find out how I feel. I just want to worship her from afar. Believe me, Stretch, and I speak from experience. It's no fun from that distance. <laughs> you see, Miss Brooks, for quite a while now, I've been smuggling little notes to her every day without signing them. So you're the one. What one? The one who's been slipping Omar Khayyam into Harriet's eclairs. <laughs> That's right. But I lost the book somewhere, so I had to make up today's poem myself. That's why I came to you, Miss Brooks. I want you to hear it and tell me if it's okay. All right, Stretch, go ahead. <clears throat> to Harriet. Oh, I love the dear silver that ain't in your hair. <laughs> and the brow that ain't furrowed or wrinkled with care. <laughs> I kiss the dear fingers not toil-worn for me. Oh, I love you, dear Harriet. Well, what's the next line? I couldn't think of another original one, so I just put down Mother McCree. <laughs> well, Miss Brooks, what's your honest opinion? My honest opinion, Stretch, is that it's pretty abominable. No kidding? And it's the very first poem I ever wrote. <laughs> Amazing. 
I know poets who've written for years without getting that abominable. <laughs> Look, Stretch, if you want to make a hit with Harriet and get her mind off Walter, which will get Mr. Conklin's mind off me, you'll have to give her a different type of poem. What do you mean, Miss Brooks? Well, something like, uh, say, I've got one right here. There, it's all written out for you. Let's see. Your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue, and evermore with love I tremble. Miss Brooks... What's a bell's tongue? It's right in front of the bell's tonsils. <laughs> and the bell swings, and then your name rings out. And everything you do lives in my heart. What do you think of it, Stretch? Gene, what I like about it, it's just the right size to fit into a Napoleon. <laughs> I'll go right to the cafeteria now. And... Oh, wait a minute, Stretch. I'd like you to do something for me first, if you don't mind. Well, sure, Miss Brooks. What is it? Just take this requisition to Mr. Conklin's office, will you? Well, sure, right away. No detours now. I want those flower pots as soon as possible. Okay, and thanks for the poem, Miss Brooks. Well, if it isn't Stretch Snodgrass. Period. Oh, gosh, Harriet, you're just the one I wanted to see. Harriet, even though you're Walter's girl, I mean, well, I can't help it. I've just got to tell you how I feel about you. Harriet... I think you're abominable. <laughs> I felt it right from the start. There's something I want you to have, Harriet. Here, take it. Hey, wait a second, Harriet. I'll walk you down to the... Oh, hiya, Stretch. <sighs> Hello, Walter. I can't talk to you now. I gotta hurry and deliver a message to Mr. Conklin. So long, Harriet. Goodbye, everybody. What's the matter with him? Oh, I don't know. He seems awfully mixed up. He told me I was abominable, and then he gave me this note. No, well, what does it say? I don't quite understand it. It says, I would like a dozen small flower pots for my window sill. Ask Miss Brooks to step into my office immediately, please. Now then, Stretch, you're positive Miss Brooks told you to give me this note? Yes, Mr. Conklin. I see. Well, that will be all, Stretch. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, sir. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Hmm. Your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue. <laughs> and evermore with love I tremble. Now, really. <laughs> Come in. You sent for me, Mr. Conklin? Yes, Miss Brooks, I did. Uh, sit down, won't you? Thank you. Miss Brooks, I don't know quite how to begin. I, I received your note, of course, and, well, I never suspected you felt the way you do. Well, I did decide rather recently, Mr. Conklin. But, uh, Miss Brooks, you know Mrs. Conklin so well. What do you suppose she'd say? Don't you think she'd like the idea? <laughs> like the idea? Mr. Conklin, aren't you exaggerating the importance of my little note? It isn't as if I'm asking for the moon. All I want is some little ones. Little one? Yes. I've got as much right to them as anybody else, haven't I? Uh, but, Miss Brooks... If this... a dozen is too many, I'll settle for six. <laughs> and if you don't mind, I'd like to have them by the end of the day. <laughs> You've been working very hard lately. <laughs> And I know conditions here aren't too good. And conditions I'm... aren't too good in any school, Mr. Conklin. That's one of the reasons I want them. <laughs> Let me review this request, Miss Brooks. You say you want six little ones by the end of the day. That's right. I'd like to string them along my windowsill. 
Bring them along your windowsill? Well, that's better than letting them lie around the nursery, isn't it? (laughs) But why do you come to me? Because you supply the whole school. Miss Brooks, what are you talking about? Flower pot. I want you to sign the requisition for me. Requisition? But I didn't get a requisition. Here's what Snodgrass brought me. Your name hangs in my heart like a bell's tongue. Excuse me, Daddy, but there's been a terrible mistake. Eh? What are you talking about, Harriet? Why aren't you in class, Denton? It was Stretcher's mistake, Mr. Conklin. I guess I got excited. Oh, pardon me, but the door was open, Mr. Compton. I Mr. Thought... Boynton, what is this, a convention? <laughs> I heard you were called up on the carpet, Miss Brooks, so I thought I'd come by and see if there was anything I could do. Oh, that was very sweet of you, Mr. Boynton. It's about the poem that was What's in What's a... going on here? What's all this poem nonsense, anyway? But don't you see, Daddy? Stretch gave you the poem he was planning to give me by mistake. But he wasn't the only one that gave Harriet a poem. I did, too. I put one in her history book. What? But it wasn't my idea, Mr. Conklin. Then whose idea was it? Do they take women in the Foreign Legion? Eve Arden, as our Miss Brooks, returns in just a moment. But first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only Luster Cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen. Soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Harriet was so impressed by Walter's efforts to woo her away from her secret admirer that she forgot about Mr. Boynton and Stretch before you could say, your name hangs in my heart like a tongue in Barney's delicatessen. (laughs) As for Stretch, he, of course, was heartbroken. But out of his soul-shaking anguish came another great original composition, which he cleverly entitled, Melancholy Baby. I had a date with Mr. Boynton that night, and while I was waiting for him to pick me up, Mrs. Davis and I were chatting in the living room. Well, Connie, do you think that his reading Cyrano will change Mr. Boynton's bashful attitude any? I hope so, Mrs. Davis. He certainly has been backward when it comes... I'll get it. Hello? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. I just wanted to let you know I've certainly had my eyes open by this book you loaned me. You mean Cyrano, Mr. Boynton? Yes, it's wonderful, Miss Brooks, and it's made me realize something I should have known long ago. What's that, Mr. Boynton? I don't read half enough. So if you don't mind, Miss Brooks, I'd like to call off our day tonight and stay home and finish the book. (laughs) Mr. Boynton? Yes? May I suggest another book for you to read? 
What book is that, Miss Brooks? It's called Everything Comes to Him Who Waits. But, brother, you're waiting too long. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with The Saint, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.